0: This is episode number 138 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, Individual Number One is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the critically acclaimed program which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a truly conservative perspective because unfortunately, no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. And unlike the corporate media, we here at the Individual One Podcast have most definitely not been compromised or co opted. Welcome to the program. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual The Number One Pod. That's at Individual The Number One Pod. All right. So, much like a death row inmate that has gotten a short reprieve because of the insanity that ensued just before the Trump presidency officially ended. This podcast is going on a little bit longer than expected, but we still will eventually be terminated, probably in fairly short order. The way it looks right now, uh, the impeachment trial of Donald J. Trump, the second one, is scheduled to begin on February 8th. I did not expect that there would be that much of a delay after the inauguration before the start of that impeachment trial. So, Previous expectations about how much longer we'll continue to do the podcast have uh, turned out to be a little bit off. Uh, we'll probably do, at, I'm guessing, three more episodes, at, at maybe four at most if you include this one, uh, episode number 138. I would like to continue this at least until that impeachment trial is completed. We don't know how long that will take. My guess is it will not be that long. It is possible that the next episode after February 8th, we may may even have a verdict or be very close to a verdict. It's a fairly simple allegation, uh, the incitement of an insurrection or, as Senator Chuck Schumer said, an erection uh, rather famously or infamously on the floor of the U.S. Senate. And that's kind of set the tone for where that trial is going, which I do not believe is going to be anywhere else other than a second acquittal for Donald Trump. We'll get to that uh, shortly. But uh, that's where it looks like we're heading. I I want to continue this at least until... Uh, The Trump to me, the Trump presidency is not officially over, at least until his impeachment trial has been completed. And it looks like that'll happen sometime in mid-February, give or take a few days. So we'll continue on for at least a few more episodes. Uh, But for better or for worse, that'll be the end of the podcast at that time. Now, uh, previously, before the crap hit the fan, Uh, We had started on what I anticipated being a two-part Ask John Anything episode. I had predicted that the Trump presidency would end in a crap show, uh, but even I underestimated just how much that was going to be the case. Today's episode will be primarily focused on completing uh, that episode of Ask John Anything. But before we do that, let's get to some of the news that has transpired over the last week Not much of it really made by Donald Trump, at least not directly. He has been exceedingly quiet, mostly, I'm guessing, because he doesn't have a Twitter feed. I mean, if he had a Twitter feed, we'd probably be hearing from Donald Trump constantly. Correct. But because his Twitter feed has been terminated, at least uh, temporarily, I'm still, by the way, not as convinced as I was previously that he's going to be reinstated to Twitter. But I I think eventually— He will get his Twitter uh, account back, which I think is a very, very, very bad thing uh, for the Republican Party and probably for the country. Probably good for Twitter, which is why it will likely happen eventually. But it has not happened yet. There's no imminent sign that it will. In fact, more Trump sycophants are being knocked off Twitter almost on a daily basis. So that is not something that's going to happen, certainly not today or probably even tomorrow or or in any uh, short time period. But Trump has at least so far, one week, he's been able to last one week without giving an interview or making a major public statement. Uh, You know, there's been rumblings of news. He's apparently talking about a third party creation, a Patriot party or a MAGA party, but no public statements as of yet, no post-presidency interview, and has not yet commented on anything that Joe Biden has done. Now, Joe Biden... I'm sure this is uh, something, one of the many things that Trump would have commented about if he had a Twitter feed. Joe Biden has been ruling largely by executive order. Now, this is a subject that I, I'm very sensitive about because I hated the Trump executive orders because I knew they would come back to haunt conservatives and Republicans when there was a Democratic president. And sure enough, that's exactly what has occurred. Biden is actually issuing more executive orders than even Trump did early on in his presidency. And we're really seeing very, very little, if any, of the so-called unity theme or the bipartisan theme or the Joe Biden as moderate theme uh, that we were sold during the campaign. To be clear, I didn't buy that uh, in the post-Black Lives Matter, post-COVID mania of 2020, which is why I never voted for Joe Biden. If you recall, it was my intention at the beginning of all this back in 2019, even 2018, I always thought that Joe Biden would be the Democratic nominee. And because, well, I didn't like him, didn't agree with him, he seemed like a good guy, a decent guy, a person who at least cared about the country and seemed to be at least somewhat moderate, that my intention was because he would have the best chance of beating Donald Trump, I would end up voting and supporting him. Uh, post uh, the insanity of the Democratic Party in 2020. That was no longer possible for me, not that my vote matters uh, here in California. But uh, for the record, I voted for the libertarian candidate out of principle uh, because I didn't think either Biden or Trump were worthy of casting a ballot for. And so far, uh, those fears have been uh, shown to be uh, very much in the realm of accurate because Biden has not been any of those things that I had hoped for. Uh, a year or so ago, nor was that surprising given the culture and the climate of today. And so we really are heading for full-on socialism, uh, just as many people had feared. America is probably doomed as a capitalist country. I know some people will laugh at that, but that's where we've always been heading. It's going to happen a lot sooner than even I expected, and the Biden presidency is going to clearly be a major, major step in that direction. There's not much that uh, Republicans can do to stop it, especially since they lost the Georgia recount. And and now officially the Democrats have control of the U.S. Senate. Not complete control because there's a couple of Democrats who are at least holding the line on killing the filibuster. So as long as the filibuster exists, there's still some semblance of a check on the Biden presidency. But if he's going to just do everything by executive order, there's not much that the U.S. Senate can do. On the Republican side, We already now know how the impeachment trial of Donald Trump is going to turn out. He, barring some cataclysmic event, just as I predicted, is going to be acquitted for a second time. Correct. We know this because there was a procedural vote yesterday, and this effort was led by Rand Paul. And Rand Paul is one of the most disappointing of all the Republican uh, senators He's a guy who philosophically, before Trump came along, I very much agreed with. His dad obviously is a libertarian. Now his dad's a libertarian nut job. I always thought Rand Paul was a libertarian who was a lot smarter than less crazy than his dad. Uh, and you know, I actually liked Rand Paul. Uh, Trump crapped all over him during the 2016 presidential primaries. And much like Lindsey Graham, much like Ted Cruz, much like Marco Rubio, Rand Paul has pretty much accepted the crap sandwich that Trump has handed him and said, thank you, sir. May I have another? Now that even Trump is gone, Rand Paul is still is still uh, being a Trump sycophant. And he did something that was really kind of brilliant from his perspective, uh, which was to create a procedural vote in the Senate to determine how many senators—and this is gets complicated, but the bottom line is what they were effectively voting on was, is this impeachment trial legitimate? Is it legitimate to put somebody on trial for impeachment who is no longer in office? And the reason why this was brilliant is because it gave Republicans a fig leaf of philosophical, principle-based cover in being against the impeachment of Donald Trump. They don't want to—they do not want any part of fighting on the facts— fighting on what actually happened, fighting on whether or not inciting an insurrection is actually an impeachable offense. No, 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 no. They want to make this about, well, wait a minute, why are we having an impeachment trial for a president who is no longer president? After all, the purpose of impeachment is to remove somebody primary purpose. It's not the only but the primary purpose is to remove somebody from office. If he's no longer in office, why are we bothering to do this? And I fully acknowledge that especially with non liberals, that is a powerful argument. There are a lot of people who are in the realm of rational, who don't like Trump and who might believe that this is an impeachable offense to whom that argument is going to appeal. I've, I've spoken to several of them myself and it, that just makes logical common sense. That's going to be something that will be effective with a certain segment of the population. Now, is it a legitimate issue from a constitutional standpoint? I'm with Mitt Romney. Uh, he was one of the five GOP senators who voted uh, essentially against this measure. 45, 45 Republican senators voted effectively to say that this tr- uh, impeachment trial of Donald Trump will be illegitimate. You cannot be serious. That's right. 45 now to to refresh your recollection, I uh, said and I predicted on this podcast and in my media column that while you need 17 Republicans to vote in favor of conviction for Trump to be convicted if you're assuming you get all 50 Democrats, my prediction was I think we're getting closer to 7 than 17. The number 17 is pretty much out of reach. Well, based upon this procedural vote, it now looks like you only really have five for sure. Now, you might add a couple. Mitch McConnell will determine that. Mitch McConnell was not one of the five. The five were pretty much the people that you would have expected, led by Mitt Romney and Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins, Ben Sass and um I we were obviously it ended up five i can't remember the other number names but they were i think pat toomey uh so i mean that's those are the five you pretty much would have expected and uh you're never going to get the 17 based upon that you're just you're just not going to get uh, unless there's something major that happens between now and february 8th and i don't know what that would be but since it's Trump, anything is theoretically possible. Based on current conditions, you're never going to get the 17 uh, based upon that procedural vote. And I don't believe that procedural vote uh, was based in sound constitutional principles. One, there's precedent. And Mitt Romney has talked about this publicly. There is precedent for an impeachment trial of someone who has already been removed from office. Not a president, but it was an impeachment trial. In fact, there's, I believe there have been multiple, but at least one that's been very well documented where there was a Senate impeachment trial for someone who, who had already left office. Now, interestingly, Chief Justice John Roberts is not going to preside over the impeachment trial as part of this precedent. Instead, it will be preceded over uh, by Patrick Leahy, who's a Democrat in the Senate. I think that's interesting. And also, by the way, it sends kind of the message that this isn't a real impeachment trial. I don't think that helps at all uh, from a symbolism and a perception perspective. But as far as this constitutional principle is concerned, here's why I'm against it. And I think any conservative ought to be against it. Frankly, I think any rational American ought to be against this idea that you cannot put a former president uh, on trial for impeachment after they've left office. Because think about this logistically. Think about what this actually means in real life. In real life, this means that once a president no longer, uh, let's say he's passed an election, or if he's in the last month or two of his term or her term, they can literally do anything they want. Anything they want. And there is nothing we can do about it. They already have unlimited pardon power, which I disagree with. I I actually now believe that we should limit the pardon power. Uh, I think it frankly should end. Once you are a lame duck, once there is an election, uh, from the election period to the time period where you leave office, even if you're not up for re-election, I personally think that uh, that pardon power should be at least somewhat limited if not taken away. But now under this precedent, If if we're really going to believe that you're not allowed to be put on trial for impeachment after you leave office, that's a freebie for at least the last two months of your term, because it's not logistically possible to get an impeachment trial, an impeachment done in the House and an impeachment trial in the Senate in that time period. So what you're effectively saying is to any future president, knock yourself out. Knock yourself out. Do whatever you want. You, you already have uh, immunity from almost all prosecution and you, can, you know, can pardon anybody you want. And we cannot even have an impeachment trial against you because you know what? Uh, you've left office and therefore uh, impeachment has no meaning. That is wrong. And I am very confident that if a Democratic president was in the exact same situation, those 45 Republican senators would have come to a very, very different conclusion on this procedural vote. Correct. But that's where we are. And the biggest the biggest takeaway from this is there is now no indication at all that the Republican Party is really, truly willing and able to move on from Donald Trump. I mean, here's a guy who has no power. He's out of office. His approval ratings are in the toilet, uh, except for the very base of the Republican Party. And only 10 Republicans in the House voted to impeach him. And only five uh, appear to be right now open in the Senate to voting to convict him in that impeachment trial and that's it's just unbelievable just flat out ridiculous it's it's sad it's pathetic and really it is in my view the death knell of the republican party because this was that already happened many times previous to this but any faint hope any heartbeat that was still in existence is pretty much going to end here because barring trump from future holding of office is the last chance. It's not just the last chance to show the public we're done, we're washing our hands of this asshole. It's the last chance to prevent this disaster from happening again because it will happen again. It's going to happen again. If he is not barred from holding future office, then the path is wide open, assuming he has good health and he has the desire to do so. Now, I think his Twitter feed is an important factor here. It's a lot easier if he, if he has his Twitter account. But even without his Twitter account, if he's able to run for future office and he has the resources, we don't know. I mean, his business empire is in shambles. But if he has the desire and the health, the Republican Party is still his, at least through 2024. And he could very, very easily— be the Republican presidential nominee. And if that happens, Democrats win in a wipeout in 2024, and the Republican Party is in even more disarray than it currently is. So this, we'll continue to talk about this topic as we go on in the next final couple of weeks of the podcast, obviously, is the impeachment trial actually uh, transpired. But that's where I see it uh, heading right now. And this this idea that somehow it's an illegitimate impeachment is just flat wrong. And anybody uh, who is open, honest and objective about it, especially if they're conservative, ought to understand that. A couple other notes before we get to ask John anything questions. The state of the pandemic has obviously been a major point of focus in the first week of the Biden presidency. I have um, said many times on this podcast that once Joe Biden was president, that there was a hope. There was a hope that somehow the scales would fall from at least some liberals eyes and some Democratic leaders eyes and they will they would so suddenly no longer have the same incentive to keep America locked down because they would not see COVID through the prism of Donald Trump being president. They would be incentivized now that Biden is president to start to open things up at least a little bit. And there has already been evidence of that. I wrote a column for Mediate, which you can find at our, our Twitter feed, which is at individual, the number one pod, uh, talking about this very question, uh, asking whether or not Democrats, liberals and the news media are now going to see COVID differently now that Trump is no longer around uh, to blame. And there's been some evidence, at least in the political realm. We've seen Democratic leaders in Democratic strongholds, New York, uh, D.C., Michigan, Illinois, and yes, even here in California, slowly start to remove some COVID restrictions. Now, in my opinion, especially here in California, this has been way overblown. What Gavin Newsom did was basically just drop us back to the same restrictions we had a couple of months ago, uh, this was this is no great cause for celebration. It's kind of like if you're a prisoner and they took away uh, Pizza Friday and now they're reinstating Pizza Friday. Well, you're still a prisoner. So big fucking deal. Uh, basically, we get a- outdoor dining and salons open. And uh, you know, in my life, it actually makes a difference because I guess hotels are going to open up and now we can go to Yosemite in February, which was our. Our current, uh, our prior plan, uh, which we did not think was going to be able to happen, so it does impact my life, and more importantly, my wife's life because she loves Yosemite, and uh, my daughter is my daughter is off from off school that week. No, she doesn't really have school, but that week she's officially off of school. So, so we'll be heading to Yosemite uh, in a couple of weeks because of this uh, so- so-called reopening of California. But the the reality of this is that uh, this is interesting from a political perspective it doesn't make a lot of sense if what we were told previously is true right because if you look at the numbers while the numbers are getting slightly better they are way way worse than they were back when we uh, even before we had these newfound restrictions so it doesn't there's no logic to it there's no science to it There's those who argue and I agree with them that what's happening in California is that the governor is getting close to having enough signatures for him to have a recall election. And that might be why Governor Newsom is suddenly acting at least somewhat irrationally. Uh, But I think the bigger question is, how is the media going to react to this? And how are rank and file liberals going to react to this? Because that's really the basis of this. To me, in order to ever get out of this lockdown and, and to ever get anything close to what was previously thought of as normal, you're going to need at least, in my view, 20 to 30 percent of liberals to suddenly at, at some point look at what we're doing here and go, well, what the fuck is this? Why, why are our schools closed? why can't, why, why, why can't I, I go to a restaurant? Why, why is it that Kansas City and Green Bay can suddenly have significant football crowds for NFC and AFC championship games, but um, we, we can't have any crowds at all for anything in California? And why can't we even have high school sports in California? or in other states. How does that make any fucking sense? Now, what was preventing liberals from seeing that previously, not totally, but at least in part, was that Trump was president. And let's be clear, that had a major and understandable impact on their perception of what COVID is and the best way to react to it, partially because, Trump's an idiot. And they had no confidence that Trump could handle it properly, even though the national response had very little to do with any of this. And Trump was frankly doing whatever the hell Fauci told him to. But uh, perception is reality. And that was the perception. But there's also part of this that was, I would hope, more subconscious. And that no one wants to talk about this. This is the dirty little secret. But liberals loved the COVID lockdowns because they knew it was going to hurt Trump. It was going to help get rid of Trump. And unfortunately, frankly, uh, uh, because of the nature of the lockdowns, there were a lot of people who actually benefited from this. And one of them, uh, one of these groups is teachers, which we'll get to in a second here, because I think that's going to be a a major, 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 major issue. It already is, but it's going to be even bigger uh, going forward if we're ever going to get anything close to some semblance of normalcy here. So, The number one question facing America is now that Trump is gone, will people perceive mostly liberals because they're the ones that are running things? They're the ones that matter now. What conservatives believe don't matter. It doesn't matter at all right now. Uh, But what what liberals believe does matter a lot. And if 20 to 30 percent of liberals started to go, wait a minute, maybe we should look at this more rationally. Then I think we could see a, a fairly quick sea change, especially if the numbers continue in the direction That they are because there's no question that the numbers are going in the right direction. If the vaccine is as advertised, and we don't have enough information on that yet, but those numbers should continue to go down pretty much forever. I mean, if if more and more people are getting vaccinated and the vaccination actually works at 95% efficacy, if that really is the case, then basic logic will tell you. And even some in the Biden administration, I mean, Biden actually used the term herd immunity. How can you believe that? Can you believe that Joe Biden? President Biden now says, well, we might hit herd immunity by summertime. You cannot be serious. Wait a minute. I was told that the people in favor of herd immunity wanted grandma to die. How did that happen? How How the hell did that change all of a sudden? Wow. One week. One week into the presidency, we're already talking about, oh, you know what? We might hit herd immunity fairly soon. But the the reality is, uh, I think Biden, Biden's talking out of both sides of his mouth. He's trying to reduce expectations by saying, you know, the worst is yet to come. And the the Trump people left things in such disarray. I, I love that one, by the way. How, how does this make any goddamn sense? The Trump people... Uh, had no plan. The vaccination distribution was a disaster. Everything about COVID was a complete disaster, except the guy who was in charge of the task force, Dr. Anthony Fauci, is a god. How the fuck does that make any goddamn sense? It's just flat out ridiculous. Can you please pick a lane? Pick a lane here for me. Was everything about what happened under Trump a total disaster and did no one have any clue? Okay, fine. I'm willing to hear that argument. But then you can't tell me that Fauci is somehow a god who should be still running everything. Fauci should be gone, but liberals don't think that way. They, 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 you know, they like everything about this. They love the cherry pick, and so no, no, we like Fauci because we perceive him as the guy who stood up to Trump and played a major role in Trump losing the election. So we like Fauci, even though he's wrong about everything. Uh, but we're going to reduce expectations here and set us up for for being heroes by claiming that, you know, the the Trump administration was a total disaster when it comes to COVID. To me, most of this is an expectations game. It's an obvious political expectations game. I do not believe that the worst is yet to come unless the vaccines are a disaster. If the vaccines do not work, Then, okay, that then we're completely fucked. Uh, But there's not no evidence of that yet. And so I don't I don't understand the logic that somehow, uh, you know, we're in for more major spikes in the near future uh, or that uh, somehow the worst is yet to come. Uh, I see these numbers continuing to go down, especially hospitalizations. Hospitalizations are the most interesting number to me, because when you look at hospitalizations, which should have been the number one metric from the beginning. I mean, cases are almost irrelevant. Deaths unfortunately have been politicized. Hospitalizations is what this was really all about, right? Flatten the curve, make sure that our our uh, you know our hospitals weren't overrun. That's what that was supposed to be about. And yet hospitalizations got completely thrown away, tossed away. And I don't know how much of that was on purpose, how much of that was incompetence, maybe a little bit of both. but I've always said, why are we not talking more about hospitalizations? The hospitalizations number, far more, the trend line for hospitalizations is far more indicative of this being all about nature and not about human mitigation factors than any other number. Because the, the, the hospitalization trends nationwide are incredibly smooth and incredibly predictable. They go up they peak and then they go down quickly. In the summertime, it went back up. I happen to believe that was partially because of the BML protest riots, partially because of massive increase in testing. Uh, and therefore, because everyone was being tested when they entered a hospital, you got a lot of people who may not really have had COVID or may have been false positives or had asymptomatic cases of COVID. Uh, so I'm not sure that the the summer... Uh, hospitalization surge was the same thing as what happened in the spring. But in the late fall and winter, it, it skyrocketed, making the, the summer and, and spring look like it was nothing. But now in very, very, very much the same pattern as what happened in the spring and the summer, it's now falling. And it's falling very consistently and, and uh, at quite a good pace. So so I I expect that to continue. I don't understand why it wouldn't, given the increase in the prevalence of the vaccines. Now, I have predicted for a very long time that the mask situation with regard to the Biden administration was going to be pure politics and have nothing to do at all With science. Joe Biden has said we're going to do 100 days of masking. He signed an executive order making it law on federal property, which basically is going to be completely irrelevant, Uh, but that this was going to be used as a way of one, showing the nation how important masking is and how right liberals have been for the last uh, 10 or 11 months or actually less than that because they didn't get on the masking bandwagon until May or June because it became a virtue signal against Trump. But uh, that liberals were right and conservatives, they had just worn their damn masks. We wouldn't be in all this trouble. And it would also help create the narrative that this is why the virus finally faded away. And that's how they would get credit by we finally did masking right. Well, you know that they're incredibly insecure about uh, how effective masks really are because they've now literally doubled or maybe even tripled down on this. And this is in the realm of stuff that (laughs) sounds like you're making it up. Uh, and a few, even a few months ago would have been unthinkable, but now is actually quite predictable in the insane world in which we're living. Because now, ladies and gentlemen, we've now learned 10 or 11 months into this that guess what? Wearing just one mask is not enough. No, no, no. See, that's been the real problem. It wasn't that masks didn't work. It's that we aren't using enough masks at one time, and that in reality, you need to wear at least two, maybe even three masks. You cannot be serious. This all I am. I am being serious. This all began or at least got uh, real movement when The New York Times, The New York Times, the woke New York Times uh, suggested that wearing two masks might be a much better option than wearing just one mask, because I guess logic, I know logic is a dangerous thing in this day and age, but I guess that means that so what you're saying then is that one mask doesn't work. So what you're really saying is that for the last uh, eight, nine months since you've been shaming us into wearing a mask, that that doesn't work. And and by the way, you're also saying that these so-called experts are completely full of shit because let's go through the timeline of the expertise on masks. Fauci said in March, don't wear them. Uh, That was the universal opinion based upon years of research with viruses and masks. And then all of a sudden, because the politics change and the mask becomes a virtue signal against Trump in May or June, everybody changes their tune, including Fauci. And now it's mandatory, literally a mandate from the government with penalties that you have to wear a mask. And then we go through May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December. And into January, that's a long fucking time, especially considering how much attention this has gotten. And it's all about wearing a mask. They're telling us to wear a mask. So if these guys were really experts, and let's say somehow that wearing two or three masks really works, which, of course, I'm sure it doesn't. There's no there's no science or studies that backs that up. But let's pretend that that's the truth. Why didn't they say that back in May or June? Why the fuck didn't they say that in March? And why aren't we asking these questions? So to me, what they're really saying here is, oh, yeah, uh, masks don't work. But now as the numbers are coming down, we need to come up with something that's going to make it look like we were right about masks. And so if now we start with this narrative of you need to double or triple mask and the numbers can continue to keep going down. Aha, that will be. That will be the reason why the numbers went down, because we double or tripled masks. Kamala Harris is on board with this. News media at the White House are wearing double masks, by the way, doing so ridiculously. I posted some of those pictures on my Twitter feed. Uh, Fauci, of course, is on board. Fauci is always on board with anything that he thinks the media is going to be in favor of. And, and this is really all about needing to have a reason why they should get credit when the virus finally fades. And to me, this is one of those classic situations where if you're using your brain and you keep your eyes open, the truth comes out. The truth comes out that, oh, what you're telling me is a mask doesn't work. And so what you're telling me is you were wrong. And now we have to go through this ridiculous procedure of two or three masks and I can't wait, I cannot wait for the shaming of single maskers to begin. And that really is the essence of what this is all about. It is pure, unadulterated virtue signaling. That's what it is. And if, you wear, you gotta, if you're going to wear two or three masks, you have to wear them in a way that shows you're wearing two or three masks. Otherwise, the primary purpose of the masks has been obliterated. It's not to stop COVID. It's to show the world how woke you are how against the virus you are. Look, I'm so against the virus, I'm wearing two masks. No, I'm wearing three. Fuck you, I'm wearing four. That's the way it's going to go. And if you're only wearing one, you will be shamed. You will be shamed because you are now the same as an anti-masker because that's how insane we've gotten. That's how lacking in logic, how lacking in science any of this is. So to me, this is a classic example where you wait long enough, the truth will come out. Unfortunately, the news media has absolutely no incentive to tell the truth about this. Uh, And uh, they're all on board. And now we're going to start seeing, I'm sure, all the major news media people were using their ridiculous masks, uh, double and triple masking. And uh, it's just another indication of just how totally screwed we are. The bottom line on the pandemic for me, I, I maintain my prediction, which has been that there is the absolute best case scenario and then the worst case scenario for some semblance of normalcy, that we are there's no chance of nationwide sense of normalcy at least until July 4th of this year. That is the absolute earliest where Democrats can claim, hey, we did it, we get the credit, and, and now, uh, because we're being forced to, we'll give you guys uh, some uh, semblance of your freedom back. And here we're going to do it for July 4th since it's American holiday, Independence Day. That's the best case scenario, by the way, that part of the reason why that timing makes sense is that, School is over for this particular school year. School has not yet begun for the next year. Uh, football hasn't begun yet for the, for the next year. So there's the, under that scenario, we can start 2021-2022 in some semblance of getting back to a semblance of normalcy or rationality. That's the best case scenario. The worst case scenario is we don't even do this until the fall of 2022. I I think that that is a, a, a still a legitimate possibility when you see how the so-called experts are desperately clinging on to, oh, there's a new strain. Oh, these new strains. Look out. The the U.K. strain, the South African strain. It's more contagious. We don't know if it's deadly or not, but it could be more deadly. Let's hope it's more deadly because because after all. And I mock the experts a lot. It's not because I mock expertise. It's because I understand the self-interest of experts. And this is one of the many things that the media doesn't have the imagination, the knowledge, or the guts to talk about. And a so-called expert in this area, what have they been doing their entire life? They have been waiting for this moment. Frankly, they've been hoping for this moment. It's the same thing with the climate the climate scientists. The climate scientists became relevant because of global warming and, and climate change. They love it. It's good for their the, the money being fund funding their projects. It's good for how much media attention they get. They're important. They're relevant. Well, this is even more dramatic because it's a one shot deal with theoretically an end date. And if you're in this realm of science, you've been waiting for this this pandemic, your whole life, it's now here. Well, sub, it, it might not even be subconsciously, but at least subconsciously, you don't want this to end. You've lived your whole life. You've, you've worked hard, put in all sorts of time and effort, years and years of research waiting for this. Why would you want this to end? Why would you re- want your relevancy to go away? It's not human nature. And Fauci is the worst example of this. And I've nailed it on Fauci from the beginning. This guy is a, an attention whore. He's a media whore. He's a narcissist. He's not that much different than Trump, except he's smarter and probably better. He's actually better at this than Trump is. So these are not people that are to be trusted from a human perspective. Again, large part of this is subconscious, but that doesn't make it not real. And it's going to be a major problem getting out of this because those that benefit from it are going to want to hang on to it for dear life and that's why i'm still very pessimistic even as the numbers right now assuming the vaccines work as expected uh, are heading in the right direction and theoretically should head in the right direction for the rest of the winter into the spring and at that point in theory by summertime you would think this thing is totally over with if you're being rational but we've lost all rationality and and i believe that when it comes to schools the media has scared the living shit out of so many teachers and so many parents that it's almost impossible to ever go back to real school, especially with the teachers unions being as strong as they are and with the Democrats being as as in bed with the teachers unions as they are. Uh, we're already seeing it where teachers unions are are stopping schools from reopening. And I think this is going to be the issue of this entire year, both politically and culturally. And I don't see it ending well. I, I, this is going to be a war. This is going to be a civil war over whether or not we have real school or not. And that's where red and blue, this, I've talked a lot about how the union is going to break up. And it's going to break up, I think, over in-person school or Zoom school. and And teachers are going to come in for a rude awakening uh, you know, they, they have they have squandered an awful lot of uh, political capital with the public, uh, especially when it comes to this issue of they're not willing to go back and teach when other professions that are far more dangerous, far more dangerous than teaching, especially young kids, are, are doing so on a regular basis. And teachers are seemingly unwilling and unable to do that. And Democrats are afraid to force them. So um, that's where I th- see things going Into the future. Now let's go back to uh, previous questions asked when I requested them for "Ask John Anything." So we'll call this "Ask John Anything," revisited. Uh, And the the first question I left off on. We did we did several of these in a previous episode. Uh, The first question I have is from Jim. Jim asks, "If invited, would you go golfing with Trump?" How about with Obama? Well, of course, who would not go uh, golfing with uh, Trump or Obama? Uh, I would be uh, happy to do so. I'd kick both of their asses on the golf course, but I'd be happy to do that. But they also ask, uh, Jim does. Why would you go and what would you say or do with both of them? Well, first i would i would kick trump's ass that i would bet him a lot of money uh, i mean that would be the first thing i would make sure that i had someone you know watching him like a hawk cuz he cheats like crazy uh, but uh, you know and he probably doesn't pay off his bets but uh, that would be the first primary uh, goal the second if there was one thing i could get out of trump is i would really love to know whether or not this was all worth it for him did he even really want to be president and if so, why did he want to be president? That's that's that would be the focus of if I had a, an opportunity with Trump, because I, I just I of the, of the believe this was all an accident, that this was all a massive accident that's that the country and the world is going to be suffering for uh, maybe into perpetuity. As far as Obama is concerned, if there was one thing I wanted to find out from him is is why the hell he allowed Trump, Uh, to get elected because he I think it's my theory that he was so confident that Trump was going to lose that he did not pull all all the stops uh, in an effort to, to make sure that that didn't happen. And there was some logic behind that. I think he wanted to make sure that he still had his powder dry in case there was a contested election. And and therefore he and, and others that are you know were still respected Republicans people like Condoleezza Rice or George W Bush and people like that could come in and say no 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 Trump lost uh, but I think they were overconfident and and I think that that was seen partially by what James Comey did with the ridiculous. Uh, press conference where he reopened the Hillary Clinton email investigation 10 days before the 2016 election for absolutely no reason. And there's a very strong argument to say that that's why Trump actually won. But I'd be happy to play golf with either of them. Uh, chances of that happening, absolutely zero. Uh, Jason asks Did COVID soften your opposition to Trump? I can understand why you think that it did. Uh, it, here's what it did do it absolutely increased my opposition to the Democratic Party in every possible way. And I made it very clear when COVID hit that uh, I was open. I was the only never Trumper who was honest enough uh, to say and make this clear. I was open to Trump showing me something. Uh, And in fact, at the first protest I spoke at uh, against the lockdowns, I said, I was told there would be balls. Where are the balls? Well, there were never any balls. Trump is ballless. He pretends to have big balls, but he doesn't have uh, big balls at all. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. And the reality is that exposed him. This whole covid thing exposed him. He's the one that made Fauci, Fauci. Uh, he, he, I mean, he's he's actually a large part of the reason, both in the micro as well as the macro, why all this happened. If he was never president, none of this would have occurred because the politics would have all been very different in the response to covid. So it wasn't about my uh, opposition to Trump softening. It was my fear of the alternative. And I knew full well, and I I said many times in this podcast that Biden is terrible on COVID, terrible. He has no basic understanding of it. He's completely out of his element, and he's bought in totally to, to this bullshit notion that somehow lockdowns work and that we can control this and and that it's much worse than it actually is. And I knew all that. And, that you know, that's why I couldn't vote for either of them. So it wasn't a matter of my opposition to Trump being softened. It was my horror at the Democratic Party and liberals in general, because liberals lost their fucking minds. They lost their fucking minds on Black Lives Matter. And they lost their fucking mind on covid. They became fascists. They became they they became child abusers. They went after my children. So go fuck yourself. I'm done. I I mean, I've always thought that liberals were just misguided. Now I now I realize that they're racist, child abusing fascists. So fuck you. Uh, And uh, and so that that means that my opposition to Trump was softened. uh, So be it. But in the end, Trump showed me nothing, so uh, screw him, too. Stewart, can the conservative movement be restored or healed now that Trump is leaving? No, Uh, it it could have, theoretically. I mean, if the Republican Party stood up uh, today and said, you know what, Uh, we're done with Trump for real and we're going to convict him and we're going to bar him from future office and uh, we want nothing to do with him in the Republican Party going forward, then that could happen in theory. That could happen. But it will not happen and will not happen because of the fear of losing at least 25 to 35 percent, maybe more of the Republican Party. Now, I'm not as convinced as others are that that's what would happen, because where would those 25 to 35 percent go? I mean, the Democratic Party is no longer even a remotely viable option for anyone who's who's a non liberal or progressive or a wokester. That's how far off the deep end they've gotten. Now, maybe they could just stop voting, which is unfortunately Trump has sowed those seeds by saying that the entire system is corrupt and we just had an election that was stolen, uh, which is another big problem. But um, unfortunately, none of that's going to happen. Trump is not going to be convicted. Therefore, he's not going to be barred from future office, which means he's going to continue in politics. He's probably going to start this or try to start this third party. I don't believe he could pull off the third party, patriot party, maga party, whatever the hell it's going to be called, if he could not run for future office and he did not have his twitter feed. If you if you if he remains barred from twitter and he was barred from ever running again, he's done. Now, he would try, but he he would immediately realize he cannot make it happen and it wouldn't be worth his time. He wouldn't get the media coverage that he he seeks. He wouldn't get the traction he wouldn't have the same kind of power he wouldn't have the same kind of fear over republicans he would give it up because it's a very 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 difficult proposition which is why no one's ever really done it before but if he can run again and if he gets his twitter feedback and if he has enough money and the desire to do it he's going to be a major 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 problem for republicans going forward at least as long as his health holds up. And he would very likely be the 2024 nominee because nobody can beat him in a Republican primary, period. Calvin asks, is there some sort of end game for pitting Fox News versus Newsmax and One American News Network? Well, yeah, I think he realizes that Fox News is off his bandwagon, except for Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram. Uh, even Tucker Carlson really isn't on his his bandwagon anymore. And so he's trying to play a, a leverage game. And Newsmax and One American News Network have seen massive increases in their ratings because they're now feeding the Trump cult what they want to hear. I love the poorly educated. And so that's unfortunately the nature of the business model now. Newsmax and One American News Network are thrilled that they have any audience whatsoever. And so they're siphoning off the most rabid Trump supporters from Fox News Channel. And whether Trump, you know, Trump being Trump, he's probably going to try to figure out a way to monetize that. I, I don't know in what way he's going to do it. People have often talked about a Trump news network, but there's going to be something in that realm. And, and it will probably be profitable because there's enough people there to make it happen. Trump controls at least 20 to 25 percent of the public—I mean, controls—maybe uh, uh, not the right word—but but there's at least 20 to 25 percent of the public in America that still love, love, love Donald Trump, and there's probably at least 15 percent of the public that truly believe he was robbed, of, the election was stolen. He's he's the rightfully elected president, and you know they're willing to assault the Capitol for him. And so uh, that's a more than enough people in this heavily fragmented era uh, to make a television network run in a profitable fashion. So I'm sure Trump does have an end game there. I just don't know exactly what it's going to look like. Anonymous asks me, do you agree that the election showed most Americans rejected both wokeness and Trump? I like this question because I, I don't think it's being asked enough. I think that there is a a very strong argument that that's what happened because Trump got a ridiculous number of votes far more than any incumbent president has ever gotten previously uh, it's just that he lost because he provoked even more votes against him. And that's the. if there was not one thing I wish that the Trump fans understood. It's that they always say, oh, well, how could Biden have won? No one cares about him. No one shows up at his rallies. You know, his TV ratings aren't that great. You know, who are these people? They, they didn't really exist. No, these are people who hated Donald Trump. That's why they voted. Correct. It was an anti-Trump vote. And that's why you cannot be hated by 52 percent of the American people and run the country effectively, especially in a crisis. I cannot say that enough. So, yes, I agree with that. I think wokeness was rejected. That's why the Democrats lost seats in the House. That's why they didn't completely overtake the Senate. They should have have lost the Senate if not for the debacle in Georgia. So, yeah, I think that wokeness to a certain degree was rejected. Trump obviously was rejected. I actually think that if suburban women had not been so turned off by Trump, Republicans might have, under the, these circumstances, uh, if they had played their hand a little bit differently, they might have even either won the House or come close to winning the House and clearly would have held the Senate if, if, if the if the election had been about opening schools. I really do believe, and Trump tried to do that for 15 minutes, and I predicted that he would and should, uh, but then he, he got tired and moved on, if it had been about opening schools, I really think suburban moms would have turned against Democrats if that had been done properly. Now, it would have been it would not have been easy because the news media was blocking for Democrats on the entire issue. And maybe the timing was wrong. I think there needs to be there needed to be more time for suburban moms to realize that schools should be open and need to be open and can be open unfortunately, there was not enough time. There needed to be data to show or evidence to show that some places in America were able to do that without major repercussions. Well, we now have that, even in the midst of a massive wave in the late fall and early winter. And so now the argument against reopening schools is much weaker than it even was then. And I think as we go ahead further into the future, especially next fall— Democrats are really playing with fire on this issue because there's going to be a point beyond which suburban moms are not going to put up with this. Now, the media is going to be happy to put that fire out for them, but it's going to be really this is a tough one to do because this is something that there's no ambiguity about. Either your kids are home or at their school, they're at school. The media can't really spin that very well for Democrats. This is not going to be a mystery to people. Even morons are going to be able to figure this one out. And so I think Democrats are in, in trouble, in theory, uh, although I'm sure Republicans will blow it, on the issue of schools reopening. Uh, CC asks, what is the future of the conservative movement? There is no conservative movement. It's done. It's over. It's dead. I'm sorry to tell you that, uh, but it died. Uh, Trump killed it. He killed it more thoroughly than any Democrat ever possibly could have. Uh, he uh, he was able to pull off a coup within the Republican Party. He killed conservatism. And obviously, COVID just destroyed whatever was left of conservatism. Uh, conservatism, if it was still alive, if it was still a, mo- a movement, uh, we would not have had the reaction, the fascist reaction that we did in most of the country uh, to, uh, to the COVID pandemic. I mean, there'll be pockets of the country where conservatism might still matter, You know florida south dakota you know places like that maybe parts of texas parts of georgia but from as a national movement it's done it's over anonymous asks what will things look like next fall as far as covid and vaccine requirements uh, I don't know about the vaccine requirements. That's an that's an interesting uh, debate. That uh, you know, it certainly doesn't look good because everything at any any time we could go in the most insane direction and most fascist direction we could. We have so far, so I don't know why that would change. So I can totally see where you know you have to be vaccinated in order to do certain things, whether it's to travel or to teach in school or, or and and you know, maybe here in Southern California, Los Angeles has said they they need. Kids to be vaccinated, which is just unbelievable. It's just flat out ridiculous, considering the fact not only are they not impacted by COVID by and large, but the, the the recommendations aren't even for anyone to get the vaccine under the age of sixteen. So how in the world do you force every kid to get vaccinated to go to school? Uh, so I don't have an answer for that, but I do think that, as I've already alluded to. That the major battle here is going to be over: Do you have in-person school to begin next school year in the fall or not? Where school for this year is done, uh, and, and it's done uh, partially for logistical reasons, partially for political reasons. Uh, you know, the, the the teachers union, as I already said, they don't want it to have happen. Uh, you know, while the numbers are still high, I think that the politics of this changes when in summer, when again, assuming the vaccines work as expected the numbers go incredibly low. And now we're heading towards a potential third school year to be impacted by this. I think that's going to be very, very, very difficult for liberals to pull off. And that's going to be a massive battle between a a huge part of their base, which is the teachers union and uh, Democrats who run uh, many of these uh, key states. So uh, I do believe I do believe that, for instance, football will be close to normal next fall. I don't know what they're going to do about masks because it's such a fucking goddamn virtue signal. I mean, you know, we're still in the insane world. Sports makes no goddamn sense in what they're doing. I mean, you know, you can have celebrations after a game with no masks. And then and then I, I I love, you know, Tom Brady's uh, celebrating the NFC championship game with with no mask. But the non-famous people, they got to wear masks uh, and they're all breathing all over each other. And you can even see their breath in the cold air. I mean, it's just so fucking ridiculous. Uh, It's insanity. It's just flat out ridiculous. Um, But um, so I don't know whether we'll get 100 percent back to normal. But there's going to be, you know, legitimate crowds and, you know, cheerleaders and bands and and college football games and that kind of thing. I I, I do think that football, for instance, will look uh, very close to normal uh, next fall, barring uh, some massive. Uh, problem, as I said, with the vaccines or something that we're not uh, predicting or foreseeing. Even the experts are not foreseeing at this point with regard to where COVID is going. Uh, Anonymous asks, uh, will the GOP try to rig the process so Trump can't win in 2024? No, they they will not, unfortunately. I'm not even sure how they could do that unless they, you (laughs) know— unless you had to have a college education to vote. I love the poorly educated. That's about the only way they could do it. Uh, and, and there's no way anyone's going to have the guts to do uh, anything close to that. None of you could do that legally. Uh, I'm joking mostly. But uh, the reality is I'm not sure how you would do it. And there's no there's no appetite for that within the GOP establishment because there's been a total coup. There's been a total coup. And now everyone, you know, that matters within the GOP uh, at the very least has to pretend that Donald Trump is this awesome guy uh, who is the future of the party. Anonymous asks, how much damage has Trump done to the GOP and to democracy? Well, potentially everything. Uh, I don't know how you define democracy, but I mean, when when you're claiming that the, the election is rigged with no evidence and a huge part of the population believes that the trust in democracy goes way down. The Republican Party is in massive trouble, uh, at least from a presidential standpoint. There's no chance. There's no chance that Donald Trump is going to regain the presidency in 2024. There is zero chance of that. Correct. That is never, ever, 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 ever going to happen. Uh, I, I mean, the, the, it, is, the, it would boggle the mind the things that would have to occur and I realize we're living in strange times, but even in strange times, it would be really difficult to to see the circumstances where Trump could somehow be be elected again in 2024. Just no possible way, especially against uh, Kamala Harris, who's probably going to be the 2024 Democratic nominee. Uh, Karen asks, what are your predictions for the 2022 midterms? Well, this really depends on how big of a factor Trump is. If Trump can, you know, (laughs) under my scenario, if Trump was barred from future office and he wasn't on Twitter, I would actually feel pretty darn good about the 2022 midterms. If I was a Republican, especially if you're able to use this issue of the schools to me, if I was running the Republican Party, everything would be about opening schools because suburban moms are up for grabs. And this is an issue where Democrats are particularly vulnerable because even morons understand that liberals run the schools. There, there's really no ambiguity about that. There's no, there's no, no way for for Democrats to viably claim, well, no, it's Republicans that are keeping the schools closed because Republicans run the teachers unions. No one believes that. So, so this is something that uh, I think is a very, very potent issue, and. Uh, If Democrats don't get on board, uh, there's going to be hell to pay. Unfortunately, I don't have any confidence in Republicans being able to pull that off. I have every confidence that the media will block for Democrats, and I believe that Trump, unfortunately, will still be uh, the brand of the Republican Party. Therefore, I do not believe that Republicans, as of right now, are likely to make the traditional significant gains in a midterm election uh, for a first term in office for a president. Traditionally, a president loses seats in Congress in their first midterm. I'm not sure that's going to happen in 2022. Uh, Canman asks, if Matt Drudge had been on board with Trump, would he have won? Uh, No. Uh, Trump is much more of a guy who sees where the future is going and makes sure he is on the right side. Occasionally, he does have influence, especially when it comes to a Republican primary. He may have lost that influence going forward because he jumped off the Trump bandwagon. But I I will always believe that Matt Drudge played a major role, major role in how Trump won the 2016 Republican nomination. If he had been pro-Trump uh, during this particular campaign, it probably would have helped a little bit. But Matt Drudge is much better at influencing other media, specifically the conservative media, than he is in influencing voters. And his his reach has diminished quite a bit. I mean, my gosh, Twitter has basically obliterated his monopoly over What he was doing, which was this brilliant idea uh, of basically just creating a web page with all the news links that he liked or found to be important or interesting. And it was a place where everyone got their news. Well, now you can do that on your own Twitter feed, and there's a million different Matt Drudges on Twitter now. So the answer to that question is no. Adam asks How suspicious are you of these super fast vaccines? I get why people would be concerned about a vaccine that didn't even exist in concept a year ago. Uh, This is unprecedented. We're in uncharted territory. And there are numerous stories in the past of vaccines that had far more research and development put into them, more time put into them to test, where things have really gotten awful. There were all sorts of terrible side effects. People died. Kids even died in, in some instances, Uh, And uh, and so I get the hesitancy. My wife is in this category, uh, even though she went, you know, she's interesting because I always use my wife as a focus group and she's a really good one because she doesn't want our kids to get the vaccine. She's hesitant to get it herself, but she moved heaven and earth to make sure her parents got it and they have gotten the vaccine and my my dad and his wife have gotten the vaccine. So so I'm a pro vaccine person. I just happen. I'm a big believer in the risk reward ratio, and to me, if you're not in the the vulnerable uh, demographic, why would you take a vaccine that we don't know that much about yet? Now, if, if if we get more and more data and it's seemingly safe, then sure. And and you know, if someone offered me the vaccine right now, I'd probably take it just to get it the hell over with. It's not because I'm fearing COVID. It's because That way, whatever restrictions they're going to put on us in the future, uh, I know I've I've gotten the vaccine. It's just a a box to check. Uh, So, uh, you know, to me, I I understand why people are suspicious of it. uh, But if you're in the older category, I think you ought to take it. uh, And if only for peace of mind. I do find it somewhat humorous, even though this is a very morbid subject. It's somewhat humorous that we're not using the same standard for people who die with the vaccine as we do people who die with COVID. Hank Aaron being a perfect example. I mean, Hank Aaron, uh, you know, uh, one time the the all time leader in home runs in Major League Baseball history, a, a legendary sports figure. He made a very public scene of getting the vaccine in early January. I think it was january 5th or 6th whatever it was he was he was in public picture taken the whole bit and then he dies a couple weeks later now do i believe that anything to do with him getting the vaccine no i I don't have any evidence of that however (laughs) however if he had if he had been uh, tested positive with covid and then died two weeks later he's a covid death so consistency please people and and, and I, I do believe that that's part of why there there are some jurisdictions that have been hesitant to give old people the vaccine. Because guess what happens when you're old? I know this is breaking news, apparently, but you die. And, you know, too many people die after just getting the vaccine. People are going to panic. So, uh, you know, and there was another, you know, I, I, I have no way of knowing what happened here. But I do know that the media would get to the bottom of it if it was COVID. You know, Larry King uh, another celebrity who just died, he apparently had COVID, went to the hospital. His son gave an interview not, just a few days before he died saying that he was recovering and that he was planning to get the vaccine, which I didn't make any sense to me. But this is what his son said. No one investigated that. So did Larry King get the vaccine and then die? I, I have no way of knowing. I just know that there's a massive double standard here when it comes to this issue of dying with covid or dying with the vaccine. But I am not against the vaccine. And um, and so if you're in the position to get it, I would urge you to do so, especially if you're in a vulnerable demographic. Anonymous asks, uh, what's your twenty twenty four prediction regarding Trump? Well, right now, I think Trump will uh, at the very least threaten to run again, all the way till 2024, basically blocking anybody else from getting any traction. I think that is an absolute, assuming he's in good health, uh, I think that right now that is by far the most likely scenario, and that will be devastating to any hope of the Republicans winning back the White House in 2024. If he were to be the nominee, I believe he would get crushed. I believe that uh, whether it's Biden or Kamala Harris— uh, or Kamala Harris, uh, I think that they would they would beat Donald Trump uh, soundly. Uh, and, and I don't think you know, it would not be even as close as this particular election was. And this election was not nearly as close as some have perceived. And certainly it was not stolen uh, by some nebulous uh, deep state force. Uh, Andre asks, who would be Trump's 2024 vice presidential nominee? That would probably be Nikki Haley, I'm guessing. That would be the most logical. It's not gonna be Mike Pence. They're not gonna do that, especially after Pence didn't <laughs> didn't steal the election for him on uh, January 6th. Uh, so that's obviously not gonna happen. But Nikki Haley, uh, being a woman, uh, would seem to fit that bill. She doesn't have anything else going on. Uh, she's probably gonna run for the nomination if Trump does not. Even if Trump does, that would be interesting. She, she she would have a shot at least uh, of of making Trump uh, sweat to get that nomination. Um, and, she you know, under certain circumstances, I could see her theoretically beating Trump for the Republican nomination. But it would be it would be very difficult. Uh, but she would probably be the most likely person to be. Uh, his uh, vice presidential nominee, should he be the nominee in 2024? Luke asks, will you be able to overlook someone's past support for Trump if they are running in 2024? I, I don't think that's going to be a a, a a concern because there's no way somebody is going to be the Republican nominee in 2024 if they've been anti-Trump. And And by the way, who are we talking about here who who are, the, who are the Republicans that could run for the Republican presidential nomination who have not been supportive of Donald Trump and so I I mean I guess the, my the answer is um, I, I have to deal with the, the reality that whoever the nominee is going to be, someone who has supported Donald Trump and I will not be over over be able to overlook that. I will not be able to overlook that. That to me is a mortal sin. That, to me, is one of those seminal moments. You have to decide who you are. Uh, Were you pro-Trump or were you uh, anti-Trump? Did you enable this shit show or did you stand up for what was right? And unfortunately, only a couple of Republicans were able to stand up throughout this. Mitt Romney being by far the most prominent. Mitt Romney, unfortunately, is not going to be the 2024 Republican presidential nominee. And, and there are very, very, very few people, whether it's in elected office or even within those who do commentary like myself, who were able to stand on principle throughout all of this. I would argue that my record is as good or better as anybody else's, because everybody else in the Never Trump a Republican conservative category did one of two things. They uh, they either sold out to Trump because they realized there was no money to be made in being anti-Trump. That happened to a lot. Or when COVID came along, they completely sold out to the left. They went pro-lockdown. They started to believe in all these things that they were claimed to believe in all these things they don't really believe, all as a minstrel show for the left, uh, run by their left-wing media masters. And it's been pathetic. And disgusting, and I hate all of them. Uh, and these are all people that used to be my friends, used to be my allies. They're all a bunch of fucking frauds. They sold, they, frankly, that sellout, the sellout to the left post COVID, post Black Lives Matter is actually even worse to me than the sellout uh, to Donald Trump after having been anti-Trump during the 2016 uh, campaign. And believe it or not, we still have several good questions left for Ask John Anything. So what we're going to do is we're going to make this into a third part of the podcast, which will work well because next week next week's episode will occur before the Senate trial is scheduled to begin on February 8th. So this was, uh, I guess, part two of our final edition of Ask John Anything Part three, barring a cataclysmic massive news event that's unanticipated, will occur next week, next Wednesday, on episode 139 of the Individual One podcast, which will occur uh, next week. So, as is always the case, please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast uh, via social media. Follow us on Twitter at individual, the number one pod. That's at individual, the number one pod. Until next week, where we'll continue with Ask John Anything, as well as a review of all the news. My name is John Ziegler. This is the Global Story Network.